the Transjordan tribes, the Reubenites and Gadites, who had very large herds and flocks, saw that the lands of Jazer and Gilead were suitable for livestock. So they came to Moses and Eleazar, the priest, and to the leaders of the community and said, Ataroth, Dibon, Jazer, Nimron, Heshbon, Eliah, Sibam, Nebo, and Beon, the land the Lord subdued before the people of Israel, are suitable for livestock, and your servants have livestock. If we have found favor in your eyes, they said, let this land be given to your servants as our possession. Do not make us cross the Jordan. Moses said to the Gadites and Reubenites, should your fellow Israelites go to war while you sit here? Why do you discourage the Israelites from crossing over into the land the Lord has given them? This is what your fathers did when I sent them from Kadesh Barnea to look over the land. Into the land the Lord has given them. This is what your, sorry. After they went up to the valley of Eshkol and viewed the land, they discouraged the Israelites from entering the land the Lord had given them. The Lord's anger was arose that day, and he swore this oath. Because they have not followed me wholeheartedly, not one of those who were 20 years old or more that came up of Egypt will see the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, not one except Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, and Joshua, son of Nun, for they followed the Lord wholeheartedly. The Lord's anger burned against Israel, and he made them wander in the wilderness for 40 years, until the whole generation of those who had done evil in his sight was gone. And here you are, a brood of sinners, standing in the place of your fathers and making the Lord even more angry with Israel. If you turn away from, the following, from following him, he will again leave all the, pe the people in the wilderness and you will be the cause of their destruction. Then they came up to him and said, We would like to build pens here for our livestock and cities for our women and children, but we will arm ourselves for battle and go ahead of the Israelites until we have brought them to their place. Meanwhile, our women and children will live in fortified cities for protection from the inhabitants of the land. We will not return to our homes until each of the Israelites has received their inheritance. We will, we will not receive any inheritance with them on the other side of the Jordan because our inheritance has come to us on the east side of the Jordan. Then Moses said to them, If you will do this, if you will arm yourselves before the Lord for battle, and if all of you who are armed cross over the Jordan before the Lord until he has driven his enemies out before him. Then when the land is subdued before the Lord, you may return and be free from your obligation to the Lord and to Israel. And this land will be your possession before the Lord. But if you fail to do this, you will be sinning against the Lord and you may be sure that your sin will find you out. Build cities for your women and children and pens for your flocks, but do what you have promised. The Gadites and Reubenites said to Moses, We, your servants, will do as the Lord commands. Our children and wives, our flocks and herds, will remain here in the cities of Gilead. But your servants, every man who is armed for battle, will cross over to fight before the Lord, just as our Lord says. Then Moses gave orders about them to Eleazar the priest and to Joshua son of Nun, and to the family heads of the Israelite tribes. He said to them, If the Gadites and Reubenites, every man armed for battle, cross over the Jordan with you before the Lord, then when the land is subdued before you, you must give them the land of Gilead as their possession. But if they do not cross over with you armed, they must accept their possession with you in Canaan. The Gadites and Reubenites answered, Your servants will do what the Lord has said. We will cross over before the Lord into Canaan armed, but the property we inherit will be on this side of the Jordan. Then Moses gave to the Gadites, the Reubenites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, son of Joseph, the kingdom of the Sion king, of the Amorites and the kingdom of Og king of Bashan, 
the whole land with its cities and territory around them. The Gadites built up Dibon, Ataroth, Aruer, Atroth, Shopan, Jazer, Jogbeha, Beth Nimrah, and Beth Haran as their fortified cities, and built pens for their flocks. And the Reubenites built Heshbon, Eliah, Kirathiam, as well as Nebo, Bal Balmeon. These names were changed. And Sibma, they gave names to the cities they rebuilt. The descendants of Machir, son of Manasseh, went to Gilead, captured it, and drove out the Amorites who were there. So Moses gave Gilead to the Machirites, the descendants of Manasseh, and they settled there. Jer, a descendant of Manasseh, captured their settlements and called them Hadroth Jer. And Nobam captured Kenneth and its surrounding settlements and called it Nobah after himself. <laughs> I think that's why Ashley didn't want to read it. <laughs> Thank you, Charlotte. That was so well read. Very well done. Good, very good work with the names. Good work. Well done. Let's pray for you. Welcome, Ashley. I don't think I welcomed you this morning, did I? No, probably not. <laughs> Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your public reading of your word. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that we can again stand on this platform and read your word out loud. And sometimes we do certainly look at, look at it and think, well, what does this mean for us here maybe in this time of, maybe today or this culture. But we thank you, Lord Jesus, that the that, that old word is, 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 is written and inspired by you. And thank you, Lord Jesus, that we can learn so much about you through the, the scriptures that we read. So we, we again, as we prayed this morning, we certainly again pray for Ashley, pray you'll encourage him in, in, in speaking your word tonight. Speak to him and speak to us. Speak to us all, Lord Jesus as we meet here this evening and just work with our hearts, uh, change our hearts, change us to be, to be more like you in everything that we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Evening, everyone. It's uh, great to be back with you tonight. Thanks to uh, Kev and Kathy and, and Chloe for, for looking out, the four of us, this afternoon. It's uh, great to spend that time with you. John, thank you for opening uh, our, our thoughts and pointing our our passage to the, how, what we have before us this evening. Charlotte, thank you for, for reading. Charlotte and I had a conversation this morning. She said to me, how do you pronounce the names that are in that passage? I said, it's easy. I said, you pronounce it with confidence. I said, and you pronounce it with bravado. I said, because why? Because everybody else is sitting there listening to it, <laughs> thinking, thank goodness, that's not me. So nobody is going to query how you read that. So it was, uh, it was great to hear you read uh, God's words. Uh, tonight. So we have this incredible passage of, of Numbers 32 uh, before us this evening. We've travelled many miles, haven't we, with the, the people of Israel as we've looked through this book of Numbers. We've seen how this people that God took out of Egypt and they've, through their own decisions and their own uh, ideas that they had about how they would uh, live their lives and how they would do things, they have meandered their way through the desert for uh, for, for many miles and now we are getting close we're almost there the people are almost at the promised land and yet they seem to have reverted to type they seem to have gone back to what they've always done it's funny isn't it because I've preached on several passages as you know through numbers and 
I've said that same statement as we've gone through. The people seem to revert to type. They seem to have gone back to what they knew. But tonight we're going to see how the actions of, of two families almost had a, a major effect on the whole of the people of Israel finally entering the promised land. And as I said, it seems that the people have reverted to type. And that type was failure. You see, now this isn't necessarily going to be a comfortable message. I don't turn up to preach comfort, oh, it'll all be wonderful, and we'll all put our arms around each other, sing kumbaya, and it'll be great. Because it isn't about that. There are times in life when we do fail. There are times in life when we do fall. There are times in life when we don't always get it right. Yet we, we see through this passage how to get it right. We see through this passage how to eradicate the failure, to how to move on with God. So our, our passage starts then with these two families, as, as Charlotte read to us. These uh, Gideonites and the Reubenites, or rather the Gadites and the Reubenites. These two families who had fallen upon good times. They had found fertile land by the river to, to keep their flock they have a, a large number of flock. The, the Lord has blessed them with a large number of animals. They find on fertile ground. It's, it's pleasant. It's, it's easy. It seems a, a nice way of being able to continue life. I'll stay this side and look after my, my flocks. I'll build cities for my families. If I go that side, I'm going to go into battle. If I go into battle, uh, there's a high chance I might not come back. So what would you do? If you were a Gadite or a Reubenite, what would you do? Would you sit there whirring like a projector? <laughs> or what would you do? I think if it was me and I was being honest with myself, where I am, if my animals are happy, my family is happy, is comfortable, that'll do for me. I'll stay there. I'm happy with that. I can cope with that. There's no chance somebody's going to stick a sword in my back if I'm standing here looking after my animals. Unless they're upset misses, of course. But we don't know. What would we do in that scenario? They saw no need of wasting perfectly good men on a battle that would only really benefit, in their minds, the rest of the tribes of Israel. You see, the actions of these people threatened failure for the rest of the nation. You see, that's the first lesson that we can take from our, our passage tonight is that the sin of omission is just as offensive to God as the sin of commission i.e if you don't do something that the Lord wants you to do that is just as bad as doing something that the Lord doesn't want you to do I made sure I got that right do you see what I mean the sin of omission the sin of not doing something the sin of not doing something that God wants you to do. Think about the examples of the parables that, that we know of. We know of the man who was on the road, who was attacked. And we had all these people that walked by him as he lay there, beaten and bloodied and been hit with his own stick and lost his animals. And yet he finds himself there, lying by the side of the road. And how many people walked past how many people looked at him and crossed over the other side of the road and went on? The sin of omission is just as bad as the sin of commission. Think about the man who gave his servants talents. And he said to them, 
I am going on a long journey. Look after these for me. And we hear about the, talent, the, 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 the servants who invested them, who brought profit for their master. And we hear about the man who did nothing with that talent. He simply buried it in the ground. And Jesus said to him, a wicked servant, the sin of omission is just as heartbreaking for God as the sin of commission. You see, as with all of Jesus' parables, the subtlety is there. Yet I like Jesus' half-brother, James. He is a lot less subtle. He's a lot more me, a bit more blunt. Say what you need to say and then try and patch up the mess you've made of it afterwards. And he says this, that so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. The sin of omission is just the same as the sin of commission, not doing something for God. The thing that links the two parables together is that they failed the Lord by not doing what they were supposed to do. And so here we have that first lesson for all of us from these two families this evening. That these people failed the Lord by not doing what they were supposed to do in the initial. You see, this failure of the people continues in uh, verses 6 to 15. This time, though, it's their leader Moses who exposes their failure. You see, he challenges the two tribes over their behavior. He challenges the two groups of people as to just what they're doing before their God. You see, that is an example of godly leadership. Of being willing to stand up for what is right, even though it might make you feel uncomfortable. You see, Moses calls out the behavior of the two tribes by exposing their failure. First of all, he exposes their failure to conquer selfishness. Moses says, shall you sit here while your countrymen go to war? Moses was not allowed to, right, to sit by and let this group of people sit there in relative comfort when the rest of the people did what the Lord wanted them to do to cross the Jordan to go and claim their land. For them, there was, for Moses, there was no division. For Moses, it was the entire group of people that were to go into the land. It was the entire people that were to go and be involved in what they were about to face. You see, as we sit here as Christians tonight, there is no room for selfishness. We see that in the world around us, in the world that we live in. That we, we, The phrase, I look after, number one, is a poignant phrase over the world. And as ever, we take our example from Christ. And let's get things one perfectly clear. If Jesus took the example of looking after number one, none of us would be here this evening. That's, take it down to his basic level. I'm a simple guy who thinks simply. If Jesus said, nah, the cross, oh, I don't, I'm not keen on nails. And I don't mean that flippantly, I mean it honestly. If he'd have said, no, that's not for me. I'll sit here in the palace with God. I'm good with that. That's fine. All of us would be destined for a lost eternity. You see, with Christ, there is no selfishness. Our priority should be to make God number one, put others before ourselves, and ourselves last. 
You imagine the world that we would live in. You imagine the world that we would inhabit. You imagine what your schools were like, what your jobs were like, what the people that you spent time with were like, your homes were like. If other people in your family put you before them and you did the same thing, other people that you worked with, can you imagine what that world would be like? It's what it should be like. It's what it should be like. But we have failed. We have failed to conquer selfishness. You see, these two tribes, could have, they could have sat tight. They could have sat down and, and not done anything. They could have split their actions. They had no right to do that. And we as believers in Jesus have no right to be selfish. So we go on into verse 7. You see, in verse 7, the people failed to encourage others. Moses said to them, why do you discourage the Israelites from going over into the land that the Lord has given them? I imagine the conversation was probably slightly stronger worded. If it was me putting it this way, I have not spent 40 years wandering around this desert getting dusty, blistered, hot feet, listening to you lot whinge and moan and groan and complain to get this close to let you lot turn around and say, nah, I'm not interested. There was no encouragement in others. There was no encouragement for the people to gain the promised land. They all had to be involved. If the two groups would have dropped out, could that have destroyed morale for the rest of the group? Could the rest of the group said, I'm staying here. All of a sudden, there's this group of people that go into battle, slowly but surely. One family says, I'm staying here. A family says here, I'm staying here. A family says, I'm staying here. And before you know it, instead of 12 tribes going into battle, you've got three. And the battle's lost. And what happens? God hasn't kept his word. Why hasn't God kept his word? Because he said, I will make you a great nation. I will give you this land flowing with milk and honey. I will give you this. And I don't care whether you've been reading the Bible for five minutes or 50 years. You will not find a piece of text within Scripture where God does not fulfill his promise. There is no way where these two groups of people not going to go into that land. You see, one of our purposes as the family of God is to support each other and to encourage each other and to build each other up. Not to tear each other down. Not to stand there whining and complaining and arguing because somebody does something that you don't like. It is a case of encouraging and building each other up. Tearing down, we're good at. One statement is gone. Building each other up, encouraging other, taking time to put other people back together when life has hurt them. That's what a Christian should be doing, encouraging one another. As we move on, just that, I know this is a dangerous thing to do here this morning, from this morning, for this evening, from this morning example, but by show of hands, how many of you like a good reminisce? I knew that would get a reaction. I knew it. I thought, I cannot fail with that one. Hey, well, life was better in the good old days, wasn't it? Hey, when everything was black and white, 
It was all nice and simple. We didn't have any problems. There was no technology. We had to go to the bottom of the garden to get the water. And all we love a good reminisce, don't we? I work on a railway. You want to talk about a group of people that reminisce? Oh, my goodness me. Oh, it was better when it was steam. Really? Well, I'm not convinced. Shoveling coal all day is not my idea of a good day's work. But if that's what you like, that's what you like. You see, what we never seem to have to reminisce about, or what we never reminisce about, rather, is the mistakes that we've made in the past. We, we don't mention them. Not really. We might mention them if we're helping somebody or each other or guiding somebody each other through it, but we tend to leave those where we are. And while I hope we don't reminisce about our mistakes, what I do hope is that we learn from them. And we learn from them for the benefit of encouraging others. You see, this is where the people of Israel fell down. You see, because in verses 8 to 11, they failed to learn from yesterday's mistakes. They failed to learn from what had happened previously. The history of Israel is, is littered with, with disobedience, with unbelief, with rebellion. And yet the people of these two tribes are bent on doing it again. They are determined to stay where life is comfortable. They should have known better, and yet they didn't. They should have known better. But until this point in our passage, they don't. Moses challenges them about their history. He has stated he had been there before with the people that first came out of Egypt, and he was not going to do it again. Each of us has a lesson to learn from our own history. The mistakes we've made, the wrongdoings we've done, the words said in anger, our unbelieving actions, whatever it might be. Friends, if we have confessed these to God, then leave them there. They are dealt with. But we still need to learn from our mistakes. You see, they are dealt with, but we would be injudicious to say that we don't have to learn from those mistakes. We don't have to learn from those mistakes we make in the past. Because we do. We learn from them. We live by them. We make our experiences from them. It's part of life. That's just the way it goes. You see, the, these people were also about to uh, copy the behavior of their disobedient parents. They had failed to follow the example of God's best people. As you make your way through life, and I can say this because I've experienced it, as having those people that we look up to, our spiritual mentors, people who, ex people who example what it means to be a Christian, people that example of what it means to be a believer in Jesus. We are told in Hebrew to look at such a great cloud of witnesses, are we not? These people that are an example of how to live the Christian life. And while that's great, I wouldn't be the Christian that I am today without some of those men that had an influence on me in a younger generation. Yet ultimately, those men and women will fall away and we are left with Christ as our ultimate example of godly life in the way that he prayed, served and lived before God. You see, the, the people's failings continued. They, they failed to understand or they failed to discern God's estimate of their sin. 
Moses doesn't mince his words in this particular portion of the passage when he describes the people as a brood of sinners standing in the place of their father. Sometimes it takes a harsh word like that to make us sit up and take notice what we're doing or rather what we're not doing. Sometimes somebody will pull us up with a short, sharp, shock sentence that makes us sit up and take notice. The lesson for us is not to worry about what satisfies us or in this case what pleases others but rather what brings glory to God and exalts his name in all the earth. You see, it is the word of God that gives us the most realistic view of ourselves. The word of God will encourage us uh, not to flatter us into thinking we've everything right, but to encourage us, to strengthen us up, to build us up, to spur us on when we haven't. Don't be lulled into the false sense of security about sin. It's not to be messed with. And ultimately, the Lord says himself, I will judge the living and the dead according to the account of their sin. See, I told you this wasn't going to be a happy, clappy message where everybody goes away nice and comfortable. These people failed. We fail. I fail. As a Christian, as a man, as a husband, as a father, as an employee, as an employer, we fail in life. This is what happens. I am not glossing this over to make it somehow all lovely and wonderful because it isn't. The fact is that this, we fail. And see, the failure of the people seemed to go on as they, in verse 15, they failed to pursue the Lord's will. You see, we reach the feigning that has put the people in the predicament that they are in, not following God's will. You see, God's will for them was to leave Egypt, was to make their way across the desert for a few days, crossing the Jericho, do what they need to do, Boom, land sorted, and I say this carefully, happily ever after. But it didn't work like that because the people didn't follow God's will. They decided that they knew better. So God said, okay, you know better than me. You're going to go and wander around the desert for 40 years. You're going to go and wander around. How many of you are rugby fans? How many of you have heard of Nigel Owens? So Nigel Owens is arguably the world's best rugby referee. Unless you happen to be English. <clears throat> I was watching a clip of, of Nigel Owens the other week and he was uh, uh, dealing, with a, dealing with this line-out. Dealing with a line-out where the ball comes in from the side and jumping up and catching it. There's some players are offside. Not going to get into who, what, why, and wherefores. But it was quite funny because he said to them, clearly, step back, you're offside. Step back, you're offside. Step back, you're offside. Fine, okay, you're not going to listen to me, I'll give you a penalty. That was his exact words. And that's like us sometimes. Is that we need to be told directly. We need to have that sharp, sharp shock if we are not pursuing the Lord's will. You see, the promise is this. If you follow my will and you follow my way, you will gain the promise that I promised Abraham. So the people grumbled and they complained against God as per normal. So, so far then I said that this passage has been about failure. It's not been very comfortable. It's not been very happy. But you, the eagle-eyed and keen amongst you would have noticed that my title for tonight was Failure to Success. So how do we turn this failure around? 
How do we turn this around where we don't have a, a people that, that are so mumbling and grumbling and complaining against the Lord? But how do we turn it around? Well, in the last few minutes that we have together, I'm going to leave you four steps that change the thinking of these people. And they are as relevant today as they were then. The first is repentance. To turn completely around and go the other way. That's what these people did. You'll notice that as you read the passage through, their thinking has changed. They decide to say, right, okay, we're going to build cities for our family. We're going to look after our animals here. But we are going to go and we are going to go with you. And we are going to go into battle with you. They had changed. They had repented. They had changed their mind and decided to go God's way. That is what we have done, is it not, if we are Christians? We have repented. We have turned from our sin. We've taken the literal U-turn. Never mind the top bit in the corner that goes back the same way. We will forgive that for it's just a picture. But you will see how the point is made that we have turned around and we have gone the other way. How do we do that? By believing in Christ. How do we do that? By believing in his death on the cross. How do we do that? By pursuing the Lord's will. By listening to what God has said to us. And then repentance leads into obedience. That we go and we don't just repent, turn around and then think, actually I'm going to go and do my own thing. There was no turning back for these people that we read of tonight. Once they decided that they were going to go into battle, they were going to go into, uh, into the city with the rest of the tribes, they didn't change their mind. And the Lord blessed them for it as they went on into, into the city. They were obedient to the word of God. If we repent and we turn around, we make our, 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 we surrender our lives to God. We say, Lord, I'm going to pursue your will. I'm going to do things your way. I'm going to do things the way that you want me to do. That then leads to surrender. That we then turn around and say, Lord, have it. Do what you will with me. Do you say that? Do I? Let's be honest. Do we get to the point where we wake up every morning and we say, Lord, whatever the day comes, whatever the day brings, do with me what you will. It's hard. It's a challenge. We don't know what the day is going to bring. And yet here we have this example from a people who turned around, who were obedient to what God said who surrendered to his will, and they went in the city. Why? Because ultimately, deep down, they trusted God. Ultimately, deep down, they had seen that all through their meanderings across the desert. Think of everything that we've looked at as we've looked through the book of Numbers for the past however many months. We have seen how God has been faithful to his people. And as I close tonight, this passage from Numbers has taught me that Moses is four things. Those four events that happened in the life of those people of repentance, of obedience, of surrender, of trusting in God. These, two, these four things that affected the tribes of Reuben and Gad have given us four words that should epitomize the life of a Christian. Four things that can turn our lives from failure to success. 
a life of success with God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this incredible account of your people in this book of Numbers. Lord, how your people who time and time again swung like a pendulum from obedience to disobedience. And yet, Father, how this is a picture of our lives, a picture of just how we are, how fickle we are as your people. Yet, Father, we see time and time again that you were gracious. We see time and time again that you were willing to save your people. That you had made a promise. That you had made a statement that your people will see a land flowing with milk and honey. And Father, we see how tonight that two families could have made a, their decision could have made a huge impact on your people. And we realize that as we sit here as your people tonight, the decisions that we make and we take can have a huge effect on the people of God. So Lord, with that in mind, help us to be repentant. Help us to be obedient. Help us to surrender our lives to you. Help us to trust you. And to know that by doing those things, we turn our lives from failure to success and a life of success before God. So Lord, we thank you for our day together. We thank you for our time together and ask your blessing and our word to us this evening. In Jesus' name, amen.